Welcome to the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Great for you here. The big story yesterday covered all over Breitbart.com because who has eight hours to watch the congressional testimony, right? Uh, so just go to Breitbart.com. They give you all the highlights. We talked about Christopher Ray, director of the FBI, speaking in front of uh, Congress, the Judiciary Committee. And there were some really important things that happened. So we wanted to play a few of the highlights for you here. And then coming up in the next segment, we talked with one of the whistleblowers. So that's all coming up. story of the day all over breitbart.com the testimony of the fbi director christopher ray a couple moments that i want to play here and we have a ton of guests guests at seven o'clock so we have a congressman on the judiciary committee we have one of the fbi whistleblowers and then we have someone from the trump campaign to talk about how the fbi has gone after uh, their campaign and been weaponized uh, so that's all coming up at seven o'clock so that's going to be uh, a great hour so a couple of things here. Let's start with the FBI investigating moms who go to school board meetings. So I'll, I, and we got to get the, we got to get to this later too. CNN is like these conservatives. They're making all this up. They're living in this alternate reality where the FBI is investigating and attacking them. I can't wait to bring that up to the F, to the FBI whistleblower who's like. It was the guy. Like I, I was, I was the one at school boards. I know what it was. So, the school boards. It was the Department of Justice. Uh, here's the letter citing an increase in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school board members, teachers, and workers in the nation's public schools. Attorney General Merrick Garland directed the FBI to meet in the next 30 days with federal, state, tribal, territorial, and local law enforcement leaders to discuss strategies for addressing um, this. A disturbing trend. That was October 4th, 2021. Do you remember this? And in that same memo, it talked about the Patriot Act. <laughs> Using the Patriot Act on moms who speak at school boards, which of course was used to fight terrorism, right? School boards, talking about school boards. So the DOJ and the FBI, they were coming after parents who went to school boards. Like they would yell things like, hey, hey, you know, Charlie, school board member Charlie, we're coming after you. And they're like, oh, it's a threat. We're coming after you. <gasps> Specifically one mom who formed the, the group Moms for Liberty. Right? This is all, remember, this is all at the height of COVID, masks, uh, vaccines, critical race theory, trans stuff at schools. Like 2021 was the height of all that stuff when people were really realizing what's going on. And rightfully, righteously, anger, angry. So whistleblowers came out and said this was going on. Uh, in one investigation, Jordan, Jim Jordan, said FBI officials interviewed a father. It's FBI. FBI interviewed a father opposed to COVID masks. The person who reported the father did so because he supposedly fit the bill of an insurrectionist and railed against the government and, quote, has a lot of guns and threatens to use them. Claims which the person later admitted had, quote, no specific information or observations of any crimes or threats. So this person's like, that guy looks bad, looks mean, looks like an insurrectionist, looks like a January 6th Trumper, and he has lots of guns and threatens to use them. Well, did he threaten to use them? No. No, no, he didn't. He didn't. 
So here's Chris Ray at the hearing yesterday in front of the House Judiciary Committee. I will say to you the same thing that I said to all 56 of our field offices as soon as I read the memo, which is that the FBI is not in the business of investigating or policing speech at school board meetings or anywhere else for that matter, and we're not going to start now. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds clear cut. And um, you're going to believe them? You're going to be one of those people that believe the director of the FBI right there? You believe people like this still? Here is one of the whistleblowers, Steve Friend, former FBI member. Mr. Friend, you ever back in May. Ever been to a school board meeting? Yes, I have. FBI ever sent you to the parking lot of a school board meeting? Yes, they have. And in the parking lot of a school board meeting where the FBI sent you, you were taking down information regarding people's license plates. That's correct. Now, it wasn't the first time you'd been to a school board meeting, was it? No, I went on my own as a private citizen. As a parent? Yes. And so there you were. It must have been quite an interesting perspective. There you were taking down the information of people, parents attending school board meetings on behest of the FBI, and you had been one of those parents at a school board meeting. How did that feel? Well, after I attended privately, my colleagues teased me that they were probably going to start investigating me. That's the whistleblower we're going to talk to coming up at uh, 720. We're going to talk to them, Steve Friend. So are you with me? You're tracking? Chris Ray. I'm appalled. As soon as the suggestion was made that we were going to investigate school board, I put a stop to it. We're never going to do that. And then here's an FBI member. I was told to go to school. I I went. I went to the school board meeting. So I got a lot of questions for him. We'll do that in a little bit. But what what do do we do with that? What do we do with Chris Ray? Oh, we would never. Here's what he said again. We would never. I'd never. I will say to you the same thing that I said to all 56 of our field offices as soon as I read the memo which is that the FBI is not in the business of investigating or policing speech at school board meetings or anywhere else for that matter, and we're not going to start now. Well, at 720, we're going to talk to an FBI agent who indeed was at school board meetings. So I like, w- w- very much look forward to that conversation. I'm also, just a, a quick side note. I'm so sick of people claiming to be threatened and claiming violence without there being any actual violence. Like, like, put up or shut up. Of it. Like I, I, all I hear all last month is violence against gay people. We ta- where? Show me one. Show me one time. One time. It's a big, giant country. Show me one time. Uh, violence against trans people. Where? 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 Show it to me. Violence against school board members. Where? What are you talking about? Where's the school board member? There's a, what are there, like 100,000 school boards in this country? Like, show me one violence against, oh, we're coming after you. Okay. Show me the violence. Show it to me. Where is it? There, the, the one video I can think of with violence at a school board was the guy whose daughter was raped by a guy claiming to be a girl in the school board, in, in the, in the uh, bathroom, and he went to the school board meeting, and the school board member, president, whoever it was, superintendent maybe, was up there and said that we have no no instances of any sexual violence in a bathroom with transgender students. And the dad of the girl knew he was lying. And then they shut the meeting down and he was like, I'm not leaving. I'm not. And that was the only thing. And like police like took him down. Like that was the only thing of violence. And that one's pretty justified. So other than that, what are we talking about?
By the way, the FBI, and we'll talk about this later too, they have incentives in place to make the crime stats inflated, to, to like take one report and turn it into like eight reports where it would normally would be one, but now it's eight. It's like, oh, look how much we're doing. Oh, like domestic terrorism is a huge problem. Or they would have a couple of arrests, but they would do it over multiple days to make it look like more uh, instances, more more stuff they're doing. And then their bosses, oh, look how, look how. And then the bosses send it to Congress and they're like, oh, look how many more cases of domestic terrorism we have. But that's pretty corrupt stuff. All right, here's the big one. Uh, this is Jim Jordan. Um, yeah, it'll make sense. Here's Director, what's the difference between a traditional Catholic and a radical traditional Catholic? Uh, I'm not a, an expert on the, the Catholic uh, orders. Well, your FBI wrote a memo talking about radical traditional Catholics. I'm just wondering if you could define it for us. Okay, so what's Jim Jordan talking about? He's talking about this definition from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Southern Poverty Law Center is a great example of mission creep and how organizations, even if their original mission statement is achieved, they will never go away. Right, this is true with the gay lobby itself. They like finally got gay marriage, and they didn't. They weren't just like, well, I guess we're done here. Let's go get real jobs. They they sat around. They're like, well, what do we do now? And that's when they made up all transgender bathrooms out of nowhere. Uh, same thing. Southern Poverty Law Center. Well, there's no poverty anymore. So the Southern Poverty Law Center decided to go all in on this hate group stuff. So they're the ones who find out where all the hate groups are, and they have a like a, a hate group map. And they call out hate groups across them. But what is a hate group? <laughs> yeah, well, you, everyone, like we're all we're all haters, right? We're all bigots and hate groups. Right? So one category they made up is the radical traditional Catholic. So let me quote from their website. This is the Southern Poverty Law Center. Radical traditionalists, Catholics, who may make up the largest single group of serious anti-Semites in America. Subscribe to an ideology that is rejected by the Vatican and some 70 million mainstream American Catholics. They also, they don't, they don't really go on to explain what that is. They also embrace extremely conservative social ideas with respect to women. Wow. So there you go. So there's the, the radical, radical traditionalist Catholic. Bad news. So, so the Southern Poverty Law Center made up this thing. And then the FBI used that as their justification to, well, infiltrate churches. Well, what I can tell you is you're referring to the Richmond product, which was a single product by a single field office, which as soon as I found out about it, I was aghast and ordered it withdrawn and removed from FBI systems. You were aghast. Then why won't you let us talk to the people who put it together? We are working on finishing an internal review into what happened We have there. to wait. The, we, the Congress, and the American people have to wait until you do an internal review. It's not a criminal investigation going on here. An internal review before we can talk to the people who wrote this? We, when we finish our internal review, which will be very soon, we will come, come back idea before how many the Catholics committee in America? and provide a briefing on what we found. Well, we appreciate and then the we briefing, can, but we want to talk to the people who wrote it. Any idea how can, many Catholics there are in America, Director? Uh, no, sir. There's a lot, over 60 million. What percentage of those are radical, traditional Catholics, according to the Richmond Field Office of the FBI? 
Again, that product is not something that I will defend or excuse. It's something that I thought was appalling read, and removed it. Let's read from that product, page four of that product. By the way, the copy you gave us, when can we get a copy that didn't have all these redactions on it? So we can actually see what the American taxpayers were paying for to see their rights, their First Amendment religious liberty rights attacked. Let me just read from page four. Provide new opportunities to mitigate extremist threat through outreach to traditional Catholic parishes and the development of sources with the placement and access to report on places of worship. That's pretty fancy language for they're trying to put informants in the parish, in the church. That's what this memorandum said, Director, from one of your field offices. And you won't let us talk to the people who did it. Any response to that? I didn't know. I was waiting for the question. No, priest, do you think priests priest should be informants inside the church, Director? We do not recruit, open, or operate confidential human sources to infiltrate, target, report. But that's not, uh, what, religious this, that's not what this said. It sounds like you were trying to do it in no, Richmond, Virginia. No, sir. No, sir. No, you sir. weren't? This, this didn't happen? You can assure us that this that, didn't happen? That product did not, to as best as we can tell, result in any investigative action as a result of it. None. You know what the motivation for this was? Why, why would they even think about doing this? You know what the motivation was? Well, again, I think that's what our internal review will find, and I'd rather wait until I hear what the results of that internal review Well, I don't need an are. internal review. I can read the document. I assume you can do the same, because it says right there on the same page. Richmond assesses extremist interest in radical traditional Catholics is like to likely to increase over the next 12 to 24 months in the run-up to the next general election. Same paragraph, events in which extremists and radical traditional Catholics might have common cause include legislation, judicial decisions in such areas as abortion rights, immigration, affirmative action, and LGBTQ protections. It's politics, that's the motivation. In the run-up to the next election, and they talk about the border, affirmative action, and, and, and abortion rights, it's total politics. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that affirmative, we just got a decision from a bunch of Catholics who sit on the United States Supreme Court relative to affirmative action. Politics was the total motivation here. And that Pretty wild. He can claim, and I look forward again to talking to our guests at 7 o'clock about this. I'll play devil's advocate to them, see what they say. Uh, but five people at the FBI signed off on that memo. Like, he can do this whole, like, oh, yeah, we did. I was aghast and appalled. Five people signed off on it, including the chief division counsel at the Richmond field office. So this wasn't just some rogue guy who wrote some meaningless memo. This was a lot more than that. To plant informants in Catholic churches. And the only reason we know about this is it was leaked from whistleblowers. And the House, the Judiciary Committee, said that the FBI had at least one, they know of at least one undercover agent who infiltrated a Catholic church in the Richmond region. So he can pretend that it was just some rogue thing that never happened. The goal was to recruit Catholics and turn them into informants to keep an eye out for radicalization and extremism. I wonder what that even means in the church. What's an extreme Catholic? You know what it is? It's someone who's against abortion. 
That's what it is. So it would pretty much be the entire Knights of Columbus. I've been to so many speeches. I, I speak at pro-life pregnancy center fundraisers across the country, and m- most of them are uh, run by or at least support, like strongly, strongly supported by the local Knights of Columbus Catholic men. And all of them <laughs> would be by the Southern Poverty Law Center and the FBI would be considered uh, radical, traditionalist, Catholic extremists. Every single one of them. It would be someone who, who would dare protest or pray or stand outside of an abortion clinic. I know of two pro-life Catholics who were outside of abortion clinics and were not arrested by local law enforcement for whatever transpired outside of it. Not arrested. Local law enforcement looked at it, said there's nothing here. But then the FBI came knocking with guns drawn at their homes to arrest them on federal crime. Local state crimes, local enforcement, nothing here. FBI came knocking with guns drawn. 30 guys, 30 FBI agents to arrest them. That's happened twice, we know of. So you Catholics, you better stand down on rescuing babies. You better stand down. You listen to the FBI, you stand down. Yeah, right. This entrapment stuff, this is what the FBI used to do to Muslims. This is what they, they infiltrate mosques after 9-11. And they probably did get people on entrapment. I'll tell you, the more you learn about the FBI's history on entrapment, the less you believe them on anything. What a shame. Much more at 7 o'clock. I want to switch gears here. The last thing you need to know about Christopher Ray, and keep this in mind always when it comes to Christopher Ray. Last time he spoke in front of Congress, it was in the Senate. It was a Senate oversight hearing. This is how much respect he has for you. This is how much respect he has for oversight. This is how much respect he has for Congress. How much respect he has for you, the people. At the end of the meeting, I think it was uh, Chuck Grassley. And I could not find video of this. But Chuck Grassley, I, I, I've seen video, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Very annoying. But Chuck Grassley's like, okay, we're, uh, we're going to do another round. Oh, wait. Oh, we don't get another round of questioning? And, and Chris Ray's like, ah, I got to go. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I got to go. And Chuck Grass is like, oh, we, oh um, I thought we were set for two rounds of questions from you know, everyone up here. Um, you, really, you really have to go? Chris Ray's like, ah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got to go. I'm really, I'm really sorry. We gotta, I got to cut this short. I, I, we got to go. And he's like, oh, okay. okay. All right. Fine. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. So they only did one round of questions. So fortunately, someone asked, well, where did he have to go? Here's Josh Hawley. Here's Josh Hawley. Rounds of questions. We had to cut that hearing short. We're supposed to do two rounds of questions. You said you had to be somewhere, so we cut it short. Republicans were not able to ask a second round as we had been informed we would. The press reported shortly thereafter that the reason that the hearing had to be cut short is because you were flying on a Gulfstream jet for a personal vacation in the Adirondacks. Please tell me that's not accurate. Senator, the hearing was cut short, was not cut short from my experience. We had agreed beforehand on the time and, and, uh, and length of it. And my, I was very surprised to find that the, any man on the committee was surprised. Mm, yeah. Cut the oversight hearing short 
because I got a split for my vacation in the Adirondacks on a private jet, which you'd think could leave whenever he wanted it to leave. But ah, sorry, I got to go. That's really all you need to know about Chris Ray. Breitbart News Daily Podcast. As mentioned in that opening segment, there, uh, we I wanted to talk to one of the whistleblowers. Like it's like the head of the FBI says, "Oh, we were not doing X." And I'm like, "Well, let's talk to the guy who was doing X." And then you decide. Here's Steve Friend. Steve, how are you, brother? I'm doing well. How are you this morning? Good. So, what did you think when the FBI director said the FBI is not and has never been in the business of policing or investigating speech by parents at school board meetings? Uh, well, I, I could uh, personally attest that that is inaccurate at best, uh, a lie at worst. Uh, I'll leave that up to the, the Congress to decide about anything, investigations they want to do on that. Uh, but I can tell you from personal experience that I was tasked with going to uh, to school boards and uh, documenting an individual who was there and any contacts that he had in the parking lot and getting license plates of individuals who he was communicating with to develop for uh, for future investigation. So you were, you were in the FBI and you were tasked by a superior to go to a school board meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in my experience, it was for an individual who was already being investigated for uh, being at the Capitol on January 6th. And it became apparent to me then that the FBI, or at least in my office was attempting to marry the uh, civil unrest that we were seeing at some of the school board meetings over pornographic material, or maybe some masking policies to January 6th and uh, essentially establishing a predicate to connect them and then uh, open up the domestic terrorism investigation some parents. So that's the wiggle room that the FBI would say, right? That's what, that's what uh, Chris Ray would say. He's like, well, we weren't investigating the school board and, and the parents there. We were investigating one guy who happened to be at a school board meeting. What do you say to that? He, exactly, and he was very lawyerly in much of his responses where he talked specifically about threat tags and assessments and that, that sort of language, it, it's meaningful only to the insiders. Uh, for, the, for the average American, uh, what your expectation is that the FBI carries out an investigation, that is an assessment as a type of an investigation. It's looking into a potential criminal wrongdoing or, uh, or national security violation. Uh, it's just the fact that it's an assessment rather than an investigation just uh, opens up a different range of tools that are at the uh, agent's disposal. But uh, for all intents and purposes, it is the FBI looking into a, uh, an act of wrongdoing. Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, he was arrested. He was arrested for his involvement at the uh, at the Capitol January 6th. He was one of the individuals who I brought my concerns forward about, not because I had any loyalty or sympathy towards him. I just felt that in his situation, we were going to use a SWAT team. Uh, to arrest him, and he'd already pledged to be cooperative. And I felt that that presented an unnecessary risk to his safety and to our safety um, and uh, set us up for, for a, a Ruby Ridge or a Waco type of scenario uh, when a simple phone call would suffice to bring him into custody. Oh, no kidding. So they did do a SWAT team? Yes, and that, that's, that was really one of the crux of uh, some of my complaints uh, that I brought forward to the FBI. I mean, 
I wasn't questioning the legitimacy or the righteousness of a particular prosecution. Um, my concern in that case was that uh, there were other means to bring that person into custody, and the FBI should always endeavor to uh, to arrest a subject uh, of a rightful prosecution using the least amount of force necessary instead of making the process the punishment, as it has been the case with so many of these uh, of these January 6 arrests, and then others. Is for, you know, I think it was pointed out yesterday by Congressman Roy that uh, Mark Halk was brought into custody using a large-scale arrest operation when he'd already, through his attorney, promised to surrender himself. Yeah, but that's a guy who spoke at, or uh, went to a pro-life, excuse me, a abortion clinic. He's a pro-life guy and went to an abortion clinic and was not arrested by local authorities because didn't do anything. Uh, but then afterwards, just just blasted at his house by FBI agents. Like, how many were there? Do you remember the numbers? Like thirty FBI agents with guns drawn, like to take him out. It's like, geez. Yeah, and that's that's all too typical for an FBI arrest operation. I mean, they're certainly they'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And then uh, another aspect of that is if you're on probation in the FBI as a new employee, you have to participate in a certain number of arrests in order to get off of probation. So very frequently on many of these uh, operations, you'll have a lot of new people who just throw on their kit and their armor uh. and they're they're. A novice when it comes to this thing, and so you have a lot of very inexperienced personnel that are there. And I think, in my, my experience, that's ripe for disaster. You could uh, easily see a situation where there would be a risk to public safety that's completely unnecessary. Oh, that's really interesting. Right, we're talking with Steve Friend, uh, FBI whistleblower. So, say that one more thing. So, so what do these um, more rookie guys need to do? What's the incentive there? So, yeah, if you're if you're a new agent with the FBI, it's uh, unless you're military, uh, that's a one year probation. Not everybody else is uh, two years. And there's a book that you have to work through, a checkbook to check off a certain number of experiences in order to get off of probation. And then one of those requirements is to participate in a certain number of arrest operations. And oh, for so many agents, they work on counterterrorism or counterintelligence. There's no opportunities in those fields to arrest anybody. So if there's an opportunity to jump on an operation, they are very uh, apt to do so because they want to get off of probation. So oh, you'll find wow. a lot of times these agents have no connection to a case, no experience in that actual violation, and they are on an arrest. Oh, that is fascinating. So I love that insight. So n- next time I see that footage of Mark Houck or whoever with 30 FBI agents, I wonder how many of those FBI agents are, are what you just said where they're like, I just, we'll just throw on the gear and just kind of go so we can check it off the box. Oh, as an insider, we will, I, with my other more experienced colleagues that we last, because you can tell who is new because they had the brand new uh, kits on that uh-huh. are and we're kind of jealous of. And I had my old agent gear, and I'm like, hey, where's my gear? Um, and, <laughs> that's uh, awesome. And you can tell that it's very shiny, and, uh, and they're definitely new people. Oh, that's great. Um, on that point, tell me more about the incentives. I forget, I forget who we were talking to or what the context was. But th- there's all these incentives within the FBI to inflate – the numbers of, I'm sure all sorts of things, but specifically domestic terrorism cases. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's called integrated program management, very McKinsey consulting style. Uh, and it's a quota system that the FBI brought in, into operation about 10 years ago. And I think of it as a traffic cop with a ticket book. And it applies to a certain number of arrests that have to be achieved and cases opened and tools used all across the board. Uh, and it's a way for the FBI to demonstrate its success. And um, as a result of human nature of working smarter, not harder, you have situations frequently where, let's say, there's a cell of four bad guys that are going to be uh, the militia. Uh, well, we'll open up four cases with one bad guy instead of one case with four, because that makes it look like the threat is four times as bad. And we get up four times the cases that we would have had, which is why 
January 6th is such a boondoggle for domestic terrorism. We've ter- taken one case and driven into thousands and then disseminated it around the country to all 56 field offices where the people lived rather than where the violation allegedly happened, which is Washington, D.C. And as a result of that, the FBI justifies its ever-growing budget. And uh, that is also tied to compensation for the senior executives in the FBI. They get bonuses wow. in the area of thirty to $50,000 a year because their subordinates open up a certain number of cases. Whoa. <laughs> There's so much there. That's unbelievable. Wow. I'm, I'm thinking of the – and then you also have the political – incentive there of now Democrats coming out and being like, well, look at what a big giant problem this is. I mean, look, we have all these cases and, and it's, it's a fraction of it in reality. Correct. What, and, and you have to look at the, what, uh, since IPM came into existence, the number of domestic terrorism cases has quadrupled in America. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and one of the stats the FBI touts is the disruption, which is a completely contrived uh, statistic that they invented. Um, they said that they, endeavored to get 600 disruptions of terrorism last year. They only achieved 397. That means that once every day, twice on Sunday for a full year, the FBI disrupted a terrorist cell in this country. Do you believe that that risk of terrorism, we would, it doesn't exist. You would see attacks around the country all the time. It's, it's arbitrary, it's conflated, um, and uh, it's a misrepresentation to the American public in order to justify the enhanced budget of the FBI always seems to achieve. Yes, I hesitated for a second there because I was trying to think of the most corrupt aspect of that integrated program management. And, and I, I'm right now I'm landing on the personal financial bonus and incentive of the of your bosses to get more cases underneath them for a promotion, but also just a straight financial bonus. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's financial bonus. It's for uh, personal advancement. And then also you have to remember that those uh, those payouts are part of their pension going forward because that's their tail end of their oh, career yeah. and your highest earning is what uh, what goes towards your pension. So the American taxpayers are hooked for that for decades. That's great. After the person retires. Yeah, good for and, them. Uh, it's, that's great. Uh, that's so, like, that's so blatantly just, corrupt. That's that's unbelievable they get away with that. That's really wild. We're talking with Steve Friend, former FBI agent and uh, whistleblower, and his book is called True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. Um, I want to ask you about a moment that I thought was interesting. Uh, yesterday, with Chris Ray's testimony, everyone, that's what we're dedicating this hour to, ahead of the FBI in front of Judiciary Committee. And he was asked about FBI agents infiltrating the Catholic Church in, in different parishes across the country. And he did this whole, I was aghast. We, like, deleted the memo right away. We cracked down on it. And Jim Jordan was, like, five people at the FBI Richmond field office voted on this, including like some, like some of the top guys, obviously. Right? Tell us more about that. Like, uh, 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 so there's two different questions. There's like systems, like how, how does the process work? And then there's also the question of like, well, how much accountability does Chris Ray himself have as the director of everything that goes on at every field office across the country? Uh, but I'm, I'm also more concerned just about the Richmond field office that something like that would even ever, ever have come up at all. Do you have any insight into the process of things like this? Yes, I do. And, uh, and one thing you have to remember about that intelligence report is that's another quota. The FBI has to generate a certain number of intelligence products every year. And if you read that intelligence report, it is nothing but a grievance list from the author of it. And uh, just reading between the lines of the language, uh, it is apparent to me that that individual actually, as an analyst, deployed his or herself to parishes to uh, assess them for uh, whether or not 
they could be uh, grounds, uh, fruitful grounds to recruit informants to inform on their fellow parishioners. And uh, it cited essentially problematic views that the author saw. Uh, and having researched through the Atlantic and Salon.com and the Southern Poverty Law Center, certainly uh, not really a balanced approach, but it, it's cited uh, beliefs about being pro-life, pro-traditional marriage, pro-border sovereignty as uh, making you ripen for radicalization into anti-government ideology. Wow. And uh, that document would have been approved by a supervising intelligence analyst and also the chief division counsel, which is the attorney, the legal counsel for the Richmond Field Office, and then worked its way um, through the executive management levels. So, yeah, so there's, there's a, a chain of command there that was part of it. And then there's also another component that Christopher Ray uh, very strategically left out, and that is that that, that intelligence analyst is actually uh, a, a loan from ODNI. So there's an ent- entire uh, intelligence network that, that that might be that product might be removed from the FBI database. Uh, we can question whether or not that's accurate, but uh, it does exist within the ODNIs. Uh, well, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that acronym is. What, what's what, what's that acronym? Uh, it's ODNI. It's the uh, uh, Department of National Intelligence. So so what's so that? The mean? Uh, the, the uh, intelligence apparatus that the FBI has evolved into. It's no longer a law enforcement agency. It's an intelligence agency with a law enforcement capability, uh, and, uh, and there are these spots within executives and uh, within intelligence analysts that they're essentially dual employees, and they, they serve two masters. And uh, as a result of that, there's an incentive to create intelligence products, and the, the nature of an intelligence investigation is that it's very circular, and it never really has a linear beginning, middle, and an end like a criminal investigation would, where the crime happens, investigation, then there's yes. prosecution. But with intelligence, you're continually gathering more intelligence in order to gather more intelligence to then spin up other intelligence investigations. And as a result of that, there's a lot of collateral damage and people get sort of swept up into it. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's huge. Okay, I'm really starting to understand this more, uh, Steve. I'm so grateful. So you're right. If you're a criminal, like what what was the FBI originally founded? Like a criminal, what, investigation arm or something? It's a bureau of investigation. So, I mean, essentially, it was to stop interstate crime where Bonnie and Clyde could rob a bank in Texas and run to all, uh, Oklahoma and say, I'll yell at for it. Okay, so, so so FBI says, crime committed, here's our investigation, arrest person, and then charged charge with crime, sentence. Well, there's like a, a linear process. You're saying that they've moved from that into this this like circular, ever-swarming and growing, just intel for the sake of intel to get more intel, to see what we could do to maybe get some people who may be people who commit crimes, that kind of like circular deal? Exactly, and it's the target of the investigation then, uh, it, it's whoever you want it to be. And when you have a circular investigation with no end in sight, as a result of that, you could wind up with uh, process crimes that the FBI has set people up for. So take a well, Michael Flynn. What's a process Where they crime? go and talk to him for intelligence reasons, and uh, then they say, well, he lacked candor. So now, as a result of that, we're going to charge him with a crime. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry. 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 Wait, wait, what was that whole term again? What was the term you used? And what did, what did he lack? Uh, a process crime, like lacking candor, like lying to a federal agent. Lacking candor? Yes. That is a, you 18 U.S.C. 1001 is the lowest felony available. That's where you always see people plead guilty to um, because it's a, a plea out sort of a, a nexus to it. It's a way for the, uh, for the federal government to charge you with a crime, a lesser crime. You don't actually have to plead guilty to what the nature of the actual investigation was. 
but uh, the FBI is now targeting individuals in intelligence investigations and then contriving a way to interview them and say in one shape or another that you lacked candor or you were dishonest, and as a result of that, you violated 18 U.S. the U.S. Code 1001, which is a felony, lying to a federal agent in regard to this intelligence investigation, we're going to charge you with felony. So you were brought in to be questioned in an intel investigation. You never committed a crime. You, you were just brought in under the pretense of we're gathering intelligence. And in the process of you answering questions, you could then be charged with lacking candor. Exactly, which is wow. why I tell anybody that you should never, ever speak to the FBI under any circumstances. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. All right. Here's a question for you, Stephen. I hope we can talk again. Yeah. I'm trying to get a, a perspective of how how big this is or how frequent all this uh, you can call it corruption whatever word you want to use so and I, i'm not asking for a number but this is just how i think of things is the fbi 95 percent doing what they should be doing and and doing it the right way and we have this five percent bubble little thing that we're paying attention to and and unfairly characterizing the fbi this way or do you think the 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 cultural rot is bigger than just a little blip? Um, this is sort of a, avoiding the question, I guess, but uh, I would say that the problems that exist in the FBI are so great and widely known. It doesn't matter if 99% of the people are doing the job that's in front of them at this point. It is incumbent on them within their training and their capacity to step up and say that the FBI is wrong and the fact that they're not and they're just following orders or saying that uh, it doesn't involve my cases is unacceptable. You're a public servant. You took an oath of office to protect the Constitution and defend the American people. Yeah, but, and uh, they should all be stepping forward. Yeah, but your life, your career's over. Who wants that? Yes, but uh, I, I joined the FBI uh, in 2014 to do the job of an FBI agent. And if that requires me to throw the flag uh, on violations of, of law and, and principle and uh, not upholding my oath, then that, that is that is the nature of the beast. You don't join the FBI to retire from the FBI. Uh, and if you do endeavor just to be a government employee, there's plenty of areas where you can do that. I think uh, HUD might be high on you. Do you have a family? I do. I have a wife and two two small children. Yeah, so you need um, you need I'm to not. make you gotta pay the bills, Steve. You gotta just put your head down and do what you gotta do. I do, I do. Um, but uh, you know, I, I told told my wife and uh, and she agrees. Uh, we we we'd rather raise hungry children than morally bankrupt ones. And um and here's the thing. The FBI is, uh, is a great opportunity. Uh, you are incredibly well compensated for doing the work. Um, and to say that you have to feed your family and pay your bills uh, just doesn't pass muster. I mean, you're talking about people, especially agents, that make in excess of six figures. Uh, so the, that's, that's more than the average American makes. And, um, and I don't think that uh, that's an acceptable response to, uh, to being asked to just follow orders. I think history smi- does not smile very kindly on that. How about that line? Rather of hungry kids than morally bankrupt ones. The book is called True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. Steve Friend, go buy the book. Steve, grateful for you, sir. Let's talk again. Thank you very much. Well Have done. a great day. Uh, Stephen Friend, technically on Amazon. Stephen, P-H-E-N, Stephen Friend, True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. Wow, that's unbelievable stuff. <laughs> American made. I got American parts. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Of course, the whole show is available on SiriusXM. So become a subscriber to SiriusXM Patreon. You can watch and listen to the whole show, the whole podcast, the whole three hours because we had a lot more than just what we share here. Uh, but alas, tomorrow we are going to talk to a Georgia state representative, uh, a black woman who has been a Democrat her whole life, represents very, very blue Atlanta, and she has decided to leave the Democratic Party. She said the Democratic Party has gotten away with using and abusing the black community. Can't wait to talk to her tomorrow. Spread the word.